0: it withered away other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain and other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold and he said he who has ears to hear let him hear and when he was alone How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. So in 1938, Harvard started a longitudinal study. If you're not familiar with that term, it means a study that's done over a a long period of time, hence the name. And this was done for a whole lifespan. And so what they did was they took kids between uh, really age seven or so and all the way to college age. And they said throughout the course of their whole lifespan, we want to ask them one question every two years. And here's the question. That was, what is the good life? Now, what what would a good life look like for you? And I watched a video on this, so this is called now the the Harvard Study of Adult Life, is the official name. And they had 700 plus participants. The video was in 2015, by the way, and there were still 19 of the 700 that were still alive. Most of them were in their 80s and 90s, that sort of thing. And one of the things that the director noted was they they did a more recent study of millennials. And they've asked the question, what constitutes the good life? And the answer 80% said was being rich, and 50% said being famous. And the director said, you know, you might think that's more of a modern-day issue, but it's not. Actually, the same thing was said uh, back in the 1930s and 40s when these young people were being interviewed for the first time. But here's what they, what they found. They found that by the time they, they got uh, you know, past their, their younger years, uh, how they answered the question every two years changed. And, and they did, a, at the same time, they asked a, a question regarding their life satisfaction. Here's what they found out. Those with the most life satisfaction all came to the same answer as to what constitutes the good life. You know what it was? Having deep relationships. That was the one correlating factor to what, uh, as they were aging, were saying this is a satisfying life. It's not the fame. It's not the riches. It's having a good relationship. Now, of course, what Harvard was doing was looking at horizontal relationships, right? But I want to suggest to you that that really is the secret to a flourishing life. What we're talking about this morning here, Mark chapter 4, the secret to a flourishing life. But this time, it's not as much uh, just a horizontal relationship, as important as horizontal relationships are with each other, with our family and our friends, with people here at the church, that sort of thing, like that. But it's a vertical relationship. And ultimately, that's what Jesus gets to here in this parable. And he, in other words, that we have to look beyond the physical to ask the question, what constitutes a satisfying life? Is something spiritual. And, and so I want to suggest to you, there are three things that God desires for us. As we look at this parable today, I think there are three things that God wants us to see uh, that God desires for our life. And here's the first one. That we would live intentional lives of spiritual pursuit. Intentional lives of spiritual pursuit. And then secondly, it is to, it is to grow spiritually. To find the right soil for that growth. And finally, what we're going to see here is that His greatest desire is to reveal to you and to me, as He did 2,000 years ago, The Secret to a Flourishing Life. And we're going to get to that here. And uh, I doubt it will be much of a surprise to what that secret is. But we're going to talk about it anyway. So here we go. We're going to talk, first of all, what does it mean to be intentional with a spiritual pursuit? Now, Jesus, before we get into the parable, let me say this, that Jesus was, as you might suspect, one of the, the greatest communicators. I mean, you don't have to be particularly religious or spiritual this morning to agree to that statement. Most people would say, my gosh, the way he taught, the way he communicated, clearly it raised some eyebrows along the way, but he was a really good communicator. And one of the things that we know why he was such a great communicator was of even how this uh, passage begins. We're told at the very beginning, what does Jesus do? Jesus gets out into a boat in order to teach. Now that's because they didn't have the, our ways, like microphones, in order to project voices. What do they do? You get on a body of water that's placid, and if you've ever stood on a shoreline and you've listened to fishermen half a mile out on a lake, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, my gosh, I can hear what they're saying, and they're 600 yards out on the lake. How is that possible? Well, it's because of the acoustics of the water. And so Jesus is out there on the lake, and, and, uh, and I've actually been to the Sea of Galilee, and there's like a natural amphitheater, these hills around the lake. And so you can imagine hundreds of people, the acoustics coming off the water, they're there in this natural amphitheater, Jesus knew how to teach a large crowd. But that wasn't the only reason why he was a great communicator. It's because he taught in parables. Now you need to know this. Jesus was not the only rabbi, number one. Number two, he was not the only rabbi to use parables. Parable was a common teaching technique. And there's something in a parable that's different from just, uh, let's say, rational teaching. A parable is a a story, it's a powerful story that reaches into our imaginations. For instance, let me me say this. If I were to um, say to you this morning, hey, hey, don't be full of sour grapes. You know that phrase, sour grapes? You've heard that phrase, but I bet you don't know where it comes from. It comes from Aesop's fables. And so there's a a famous one, Aesop lived like 22, 2,500 years ago. And One of his fables was about a fox and a vineyard. And the fox was trying his hardest to get to the grapes, but he couldn't get there. And so finally he gave up. And as he walked away, the fox says, well, I wouldn't want those grapes anyway. They're probably just sour. Well, that's where the phrase, uh, don't be full of sour grapes. It's something that you're bitter about because you can't really have it. You want it, but you can't have it. So now you, you dismiss it because you can't have it. Right? That's what sour grapes means. But if I just said to you, hey, don't be bitter this morning. Right? Uh, You know, don't live a life that way. You might say, okay, fine. But if I were to tell you that story, you can imagine, especially with kids. Right? That's why we tell stories. That's why right now, for those of you who have kids upstairs, they are probably receiving a story. Because there's something that's imaginative and powerful, and we as adults still need that as well. And so Jesus knew that, and he knew that one of the ways to communicate was to tell parables. Now, Mark gives this as his first parable. We don't know if chronologically it actually was or not, but Mark presents it that way to us. And it's one of uh, many parables. And all the parables essentially have a couple things in common. Number one, they always have an invite and a challenge from Jesus. Jesus was constantly, through his teaching, inviting people and challenging people. Often he was challenging the same people he was inviting. But people that would have two different responses. More on that here in a second. But the second thing that the parables all have in common was this. They're all about the kingdom of God. And so often, not always, but often you'll see a parable begin with, and the kingdom of God is like... This And so Jesus uses a story from agrarian life, which is common back then, just as he does here. And, and, and these, these parables are all driving at the same place. Let me tell you what God's kingdom is like. Now, this is interesting because we're given that passage there from Isaiah chapter 6. And I don't know if you looked at it and you're like, well, why is Jesus quoting this from Isaiah? Who was, so let me ask you to put on your, your hats here, your seminary hats, just for a second, okay? Um, What's going on here? Well, in Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet sent to uh, God's people, but the religious leaders were leading God's people away from God and is- uh, Israel. Isaiah was saying, Israel, like if you continue down that pathway, and here's how it's going to end up for you, exile. And so he was warning them. And so there's a challenge and an invite here in this passage saying, and so Jesus picks up on that, right? He picks up on that here and say, here's what the parables are about. The parables are about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. But for those who hear the parable and say, say I have no idea what you're talking about and I'm not interested, people just turn them off. And, and that leads to the first seed. Now, in a second, we're going to concentrate on all the other seeds. What are those seeds about? How do they relate to our lives here? But that very first seed, I want to mention this. These are people who hear about Jesus, who hear the teachings of Jesus, and they say, I have no interest whatsoever in hearing anything else from him. Right? And, and so this picture is given, Jesus gives this picture of a, of a hard pathway here. So if you've ever been on the Appalachian Trail, I know some of you like that. I see some people here who love to do that every year. Uh, but if you've ever been on that pathway, uh, in most cases, is a really hard pathway. And that's because all the topsoil has been washed away or it's been pounded away. And so you have that Georgia clay that when it gets pounded, you know, it's rock hard. And water can even penetrate that pathway, much less seed. And so, Jesus says there are some hearts whose response to the challenge and the invite is to say, I don't want to do anything with this. And, 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 and so, it's like water off a duck's back. seed doesn't uh, reach into there, and so the seed is scattered, but there's no impact. There's no power. And Jesus said that is how some people re- will respond to me here. Right? Now, what does that have to do with Intentionality. I know that there are some people who will respond to Jesus in that way, but I think most people at least have some modicum of curiosity. And it could be that for some of you here, you're saying, man, if I believed in miracles, the first miracle is I'm here today at your church. This is my first time here. And I want to say, first of all, welcome. One of our mantras here is belong before you believe. To find a a place where you can ask the questions. But a lot of people who come in here and say, I'm not sure that I would call myself a Christian, but I'm curious. That's the sort of intentionality where we begin. Jesus is inviting people to say, look, I want to just ask you, do you want to be curious? Do you want to learn more? And I want to show you that right here in the passage. Look at verse 10 with me. It's is, it is a, a verse when you hear it, you, you don't think much of it, but I see so much here. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. saying, well, why is that important here? Well, first of all, it says, and when he was alone. So his teaching is over. You imagine all those hundreds of people who are gathered there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and most of them just melt into the crowd. They disappear. And, but remember, he's been traveling with his 12, with his disciples, right? They're, they're just starting on that journey. But what does it say here? in the, it says, when he was alone, those around him with the 12. In other words, there were some people who were in the crowd who joined the 12. There were some people who heard the parable and they said, I want to know more. Now, see, that's how Jesus operates. And I think he still operates that way today with us. I think there are people who hear these words, who hear that, and they say, I'm not really interested, but there are other people, and some of you may be this. You're saying, man, I'm curious. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to know God here? There's a curiosity. What's required uh, to know God is curiosity. We've all met people who, who, uh, they ask questions, but we know they're loaded, Right? Uh, They're cynical, um, and 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 there's an agenda behind it, and they're not really that interested in the answer, right? We've met people in our lives, and I don't even talk about religion necessarily. In our lives, we've met people like that. But but we've also known other people in our lives who come with curiosity about something, spiritual or otherwise. And that's what Jesus is saying. Say, come curious. saying, it's okay. If you have doubts, at this point, maybe doubt your doubts. And say, huh, I've been living my way this way, but what if it's true? I'm curious. And so what I, I see here at the outset is an invitation to be curious. Some of you know the name Francis Schaeffer. I actually went to seminary with a guy who personally knew Francis Schaefer. He was a philosopher, a really well-known uh, Christian thinker who started a place called Labrie in Switzerland. And uh, my bride, Kirsten, has been there. Some of you have probably been there as well to the, kind of the headquarters where it all started. But LaVries is a fascinating place where skeptics could come and ask Francis Schaefer any question. And they, they provided an opportunity for, for table fellowship, community. You, you live there for a certain period of time. And one of my friends from seminary, uh, who's an older gentleman, he's probably now about 80 years old. Uh, but the time, uh, 25 years ago when we were in seminary together, he had uh, been in uh, Vietnam. And he came out of Vietnam. He was very disillusioned. And he came out of Vietnam, and he'd been involved with the occult. He wasn't raised in the church, and been involved in some some kind of how he described it as dark spirituality. And he went disillusioned, but he'd heard about Francis Schaeffer in this place. And he's like, is this a safe place or not for me to go and ask questions? And he still told me the story. He remembers that uh, there on the shores of Lake Geneva in Switzerland, uh, Francis Schaeffer said, hey, I want you to row out into the lake with me, into the boat. Uh, he had been on the fringe of faith talking. He was not ready to commit his life yet. And he had this talisman around, this ne- uh, around his neck. And Francis Schaeffer, out in the middle of the lake, said, Jim, I want you to take it off throw in the lake. And, uh, and Jim took it off. He threw it in the lake. He said, that was my conversion. It was like, that's when I, I really gave my life to Jesus. That was the moment. Well, that was Francis Schaeffer. And Francis Schaefer had this phrase that I love. He said, honest questions deserve honest answers. Honest questions deserve honest answers. Listen, you need to know this here at City Church. This is true. Like, this is a place where you can ask an honest question. You will receive an honest answer about who is Jesus? What does it mean to know him in the modern world? Even this tonight as we talk about biblical sexuality, people are asking questions left and right, like what is sexuality? What is gender? And, and what does it look like You know, in the modern world? Honest questions deserve honest answers. So what's required here? There, there's just here's where I end the first point. You know, C.S. Lewis said there are two types of people in the world, those who say um, to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says to them, thy will be done. In other words, If you don't want me, you can go about your own business. But to those who want me, what does it mean to say, I want your will in my life? To be curious. And so the first step in this revelation, as it were, in the seeds here is curiosity. But here's the second thing. And that is this, this vision regarding the seeds and all these different seeds. And I think this, for most of us in here, for the majority in here, this is where we're at. And now what I want to suggest to you is that, that this preached 2,000 years ago. Like to those people right there on the shore, you know, using this agrarian imagery the seeds. I know for us in the, in the city, we don't think much about seeds unless it's like in our little potted plant on the windowsill in our apartment, something like that. But for them, like this is their lives. And so they understood it, right? Uh, but for us, how do we connect with the seeds? Right. So so Jesus gives his own commentary on the parables here on this parable. And notice that he said, hey, how can you know any of the parables if you don't know this one? So this is a pretty important one. I think this is the reason why Mark at least presents this one as the very first parable that he gave. It's sort of like a key right, to unlocking. Right. You're a student and, and you wish you had the key to uh, <laughs> to the test. Right. And uh, you can unlock all the answers. Right. This is the key, he says here. In verse 11 and following. And so uh, I want you to just see with me, what does he say about these seeds? And let's ask this question, right? Socrates once said that the only life not worth living is the unexamined life. And so let's examine our lives. Uh, How do we connect here? And listen to this in verses 16 and 17 regarding this first seed, as it were. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is a picture of soil, but it's really shallow. So imagine you're, you're back on the Appalachian Trail and you, you come along and you see, you see these rocks, right? The, they're boulders and, and they have these uh, inverted bowls, right? Or a bowl shape and, and you get a little soil that blows in there, right? And, and so you probably have seen this like really small life that's trying to get out of that really shallow soil. But you know what happens when the heavy rain comes or the wind comes? Or you just kick it, right? Or just barely blow on it. It's just like it blows away. That's the picture here. It's the people who would say, man, Jesus, man, he is awesome. What a cool guy. Speaking truth to power, right? Or, man, he's full of mercy, full of compassion, right? How cool, how awesome is that? Man, I I think uh, I want to hear more about this guy, right? That that sounds really cool, really awesome. But then what happens? Life sets in. And so you hear the words, it's cancer, uh, or or um, the spouse who says, I want a divorce, right? Or, or you, you're raising your kids in a certain way. Man, if I just give them enough opportunities, they'll turn out a certain way, and they don't. They go their own way, right? In other words, what happens is life happens, the reality of life, and you don't have enough root system spiritually to survive that encounter with reality, you see. Right? Uh, I always say this, the, the real test of whether you have faith right, is not when things are going well, it's when they're not going well. well. Hear me on that again. The real test of your faith is not when things are going well. I mean, everyone can sign up for God when things are going well. The real question is, what happens when, when death comes? What happens when disease comes? What happens um, when metaphorical death comes uh, to your marriage or to your family, uh, to your career? We could go on and on. That's life, we say. And there's not an endurance there. And so what matters is, is God good? Can you say God is good when things are not going well? That's the real pivot. That's the real key here is saying, can you endure when the storms come, the tribulation, the trials come? Here? So Jesus paints this picture of saying, yes, there's a soil where the seed falls and, and initially begins, but then it gets snuffed out. Life gets snuffed out by, by the trials of life. And I wonder, maybe some of you say, man, that, that sounds like me a little bit. Or maybe not, but there's another seed here I want to point it. It's in the next two verses here, verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. If the first seed is what happens when bad things happen to us, the second seed happens when good things happen to us. You hear that? It's not just when, when tribulation comes. It's not just when, when things go south and sideways, as I like to say here in our lives. It's when good things actually happen to us as well. And so imagine this, the soil. It's a deeper soil than that, that shallow topsoil layer. And so the seed goes in. But the problem is, and if you've ever done this before, maybe you have a garden at your house. Or again, maybe it's just that little potted plant that you try this and you just put a lot of seed in there, what happens? You get a lot of little growth. Right? You don't get you don't get flourishing growth. You, don't, you, get, you get a plant that makes it to uh, adulthood, let's say. You get a lot of little stumpy growth, let's call it there. And, and the reason why is it gets choked out by the weeds or by the fact that it's too competitive. There, there's not enough nutrients. There's too many things in the soil. And what Jesus, I think, is saying is good things, when they become ultimate things, can choke the spiritual life out of us, you know? So, Jesus never, by the way, you'll never hear Jesus say, the problem with you is wealth. No, he always says, the problem is your relationship to wealth. You can be fabulously rich this morning and deeply love Jesus, and he's the Lord of your life, including your finances. So, this has nothing intrinsically to do with how wealthy you are has nothing intrinsically to do with how rich you are in other areas of your life, in your career, right? You're at, you're at the pinnacle of success. You're in, in, you have amazing achievements. Uh, it's, it's not about that, friends. It's not about that. If you're here for any length of time, you know I'm going to say that. But you may be new here. I want you to hear that. Now, you know, the, the, the root of all evil isn't money, right? It's, it's, it's our relationship to money, right? That becomes the problem. And Jesus knows that. And so this morning, for a lot of us, I think this really speaks to a lot of us, by the way. Like, we, we can be full of life and say, man, I love Jesus. Like, I am a part of a DNA group. I'm part of a, you know, uh, I'm here every Sunday. I'm tithing and I'm giving my offerings and, like, I'm volunteering, blah, 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 right? And, and then, but you, but, you know, between the Sundays, let's say, between the Sundays, like, the life gets choked out of you by what happens in your workplace, by what happens in your family life, the cares of the world, good things. But, but when we lose sight of our grounding, of who Jesus is, when we lose sight of who God is, the tendency is that something else will replace it as God. Something else becomes ultimate. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And so he calls these, the, the cares and the riches and the desires, all good things, right? I want to show you a picture. This is, uh, I think we have it here. Yeah, so this is the summer. Some of you know that for our sabbatical this summer, uh, we had a chance to go to Italy. I know some of you are smiling. You're like, I know what that is. It's the Pantheon. That's right, Pantheon in Rome. So we did the tourist thing, went to Rome, and, uh, and it, along with like millions of other people, by the way. It was summertime. COVID was feeling like it was over, so everyone, their mother, was there with me and my family in Rome. But the Pantheon was actually built at the time of Christ. It's 2,000 years old, and it is still in amazing condition. And today it's actually used as a for a Catholic mass worship service. Uh, still to this day, it's really intriguing. But the word pantheon comes from the Greek. It means two things. Pan, many. Theos, gods. Pantheon was the symbol in ancient pagan Rome that said... This is what the empire stands for. All these different uh, ethnic groups, these nations that we have conquered and taken over, we're going to take a statue of their god, and we're going to put it in a little niche here in the Pantheon, or in the gardens surrounding the Pantheon at the time, right? And so we're going to represent what Rome stands for. And that means we believe in the gods, but no one god will be lord. That's what the Pantheon was. That's what pantheos means. And I think this speaks to us because when... Uh, when we are choked out by many things, there are many things that seek lordship in our life. And the question that Jesus says this is the, here's the challenge in, in what he's saying here. He says, Will I be your everything? Will, will, I, will you be so fixated on me? Will you be so drawn to me that in whatever happens between the Sundays, you go to me? And saying, Man, I, Jesus, I need you to be my grounding force as I face. This trial in my marriage. As I, as, I, as I face success. Good things. As I face those things. And may You be the center of my everything. This is what that seed story is, is getting at here. It's like, will many things choke out what is intended to be our ultimate faith? Jesus Himself here. And it leads to the last thing, and that's verse 20. Here's the different seed He says. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. You see, Jesus is not looking for seeds. He's looking for grain. He's looking for the harvest. And, And any farmer, again, remember, this is an agrarian society, 30, 60, 100, they're going, oh, my gosh, that would be an amazing harvest, right? I mean, you talk about abundance, man. We're killing it in the farming industry right now. Like we just, we, bushel after bushel, and that's what Jesus is saying, man, if I'm your grounding, if I truly am the Lord of your life, you're going to experience largesse. You're going to experience power. You're going to experience abundance that, that no Maserati can put on that. No no, amazing bank account, 501K, 401Ks, and nothing, nothing, none of that stuff can hold a stick to what I'm offering to you here, and that is spiritually the basis for truly life. Just like that Harvard study that says, man, at the end of the day we realize, man, the things of the world, quote unquote, man, there's something I need beyond that. Oh, it's relationships. And Jesus says, I want you to see the most important relationship of all, which leads to the last point I have for you this morning. And that is God desires, lastly, to reveal a secret to you, as He did 2,000 years ago. And in verse 11, He says that actually. He says, the secret of the kingdom is given to you. Because why? Because you came and you asked. You said, I want to know more. I want in on this. And Jesus said, all right. Well, let me tell you what that is. And I remember, what are all the parables about? The kingdom of God. Now, here's what's fascinating. I want to show you this. This is what is utterly fascinating. In verse 14, remember, he's doing his commentary. And in verse 14, it begins by saying, the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. And that word, word, you see probably at least a dozen times, if not more, throughout this parable. It is, a, it is an important point that Jesus is making here. But here's what's interesting. When I first looked at this, Right? When I first looked at this, I thought, oh, he's talking about the scriptures. Right? Uh, Sowing the word. In fact, we, we do that a lot in the church. We say, yeah, we have got to sow the word in us, that sort of thing like that. But actually, you know what the word is? Logos in the Greek, the original. What is logos? Where have we seen that before? Right? Because there's another word that it was, the scriptures have been another word in the Greek. But this word is logos. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God logos what was jesus saying the sower sows the word what's the key to the kingdom what's the the secret that's revealed jesus is saying it's me now please understand this when they first heard this they weren't thinking jesus right more of that in a second they weren't thinking that but that's what jesus is thinking about that's the secret Jesus is saying, and another way to put that is, that I, you know, it says I'm the living Word, and he says, you know, in the beginning was the Word, John chapter one. But then uh, later on, it's the revealed Word. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And what Jesus is saying here he says that the good news of the gospel is me. It's not to pursue religion. It's not to pursue self-help. The good news is actually a person. It's the vertical relationship. That is the secret to having a good horizontal relationship with others, yourself, the world, your neighbors, your friends, and so forth. It begins with a vertical one, Jesus says here. And I want you to see, lastly, this is where I close very quickly here. I want you to see three things about power here. And so one of the things that you see here in this passage is a picture of power. And you know that, like you take a little seed, right? And, and out of that comes life. This is a picture of power. I want you to see in three ways. Here's the first one here. The word has power. Right? Peter says this in 1 Peter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Let me say that again. Since you've been born again, all right, so, so you have new life in Christ, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. There's a type of seed that can be untouched by the forces of the realm of the world. That's what he's saying there. He says, yes, the, the trial and tribulation will come, but you continue to grow in abundance. Why? Because it's imperishable. You have a seed, and again, that's the power of the seed. It's Jesus Christ himself. But none of these things that replace Jesus, that we try to have him replaced with, those things are not going to have enough power to get you through your hardship. But Jesus, he says, Jesus is the imperishable seed who gives us that power. But here's the second thing, it releases power. I remember hearing a story about a man walking through a graveyard and, and he saw this massive oak tree a massive oak tree that was coming up through an actual gravestone. Like it was coming through, like it popped the top, so to speak. And it was coming through. And uh, now imagine, imagine if you took an acorn. That's the seed of the oak tree, right? Imagine if you took an acorn and you just started pounding away at the top of that gravestone. What would happen? Nothing to the gravestone, right? It's fine. What would happen to the acorn? Be smashed, smithereens, right? So the acorn in its seed form doesn't have the power. But it's got potential, a lot where there's potentate. And we get that where power from. And what happens if it goes deep and it, it finds nourishing soil? And so what happens is acorn had fallen into, probably at some point uh, there's a crack and it had fallen in and fallen into the soil and with the water and the nutrients, out of that over a period of time came power. Jesus is showing us this picture here of potential. And what happens when it finds the right soil? Again, the word. He says, sowing the Word. That's the power. And when he finds the power in himself, he says, man, incredible potential can happen here. And so there's this picture of power on display. And, and how does it get into us? I think it's right in verses 3 and 9 where it says, listen and hear. I, um, you know, I've been married for almost 23 years now. And there have been plenty of times where I'll be cooking in the kitchen and Kirsten will walk and she has something to share with me. And early in our marriage, when she would share something, I wouldn't, I would just kind of keep uh-huh, uh-huh, like that and I'd just keep cooking away, chopping the onions, that sort of thing like that. And it was very clear, very quickly to my wife that I was not listening. And she could tell, she's like, I don't think you heard me. Uh, are you hearing me? Now, what is she saying? She's not saying, check your ears. Uh, You need to go to the uh, ears, nose, and throat specialist uh, because I'm not sure you... No, that's not what she means. She's saying, I don't know you understand because if you did, you would actually do what I just said, right? (laughs) Does anyone else have that issue? Uh, Probably their life too. Uh, Hopefully, I'm not alone in that. Well, listen, that's what Jesus is saying here because the Jewish understanding of listen and hear, when you hear that, don't hear acoustics, audibles. The Jewish understanding of that, what he meant was Do. Those who hear me do. So we enact the words and the works and the ways of Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, let him who has ears hear. Let him who has ears do. Let him who who has just heard this parable put it into practice. And so it's this picture of released power. That if Jesus is the Word in us, we go out and and we as disciples living out the lines of His kingdom, the compassion, the mercy, right? Right? Um, uh, the faithfulness in our sexuality, in, in our economics, in our pocketbooks, in our relationships, in our ethics, in the workplace, and all these things is this beautiful, nutrient rich picture of life and flourishing life here. But there's one last thing here that you have to hear, and that is not just that the word releases power, but it, there's an unexpected power. The secret revealed is a paradox. He said, what do you mean? Well, listen, the disciples sitting on the shore, all the people listening to Jesus, none of them were expecting what happened next. You see, what were they expecting? They were expecting a, a ruler to come and destroy the Romans, destroy the pagans, and bring back the glory of Israel that they had with David and Solomon sitting on the throne. And what does Jesus do? He says, the way up is the way down. And He keeps coaching them and teaching them on that. And it, what's fascinating is in John chapter 12, verse 24, listen to what it says there. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus, of course, was talking about himself as the seed. Very first picture, by the way, that we see the seed, Genesis 3.15. And the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. It's the first time we're given a promise of the gospel, the good news. And the seed will come and it will crush death itself. Right? But how? The scattered sea. It looks weak. It looks wasted. It dies. But in being placed in the ground for three days. Being placed in the ground. Resurrection life. Because death and been defeated. Don't you see? Jesus is the secret revealed. Not because He's a rabbi. Not because He's a prophet. Because He's Lord of heaven and earth. Friends, I want to proclaim that to you. And I want you to hear that this morning. He is Lord. As we sit here today, as we wrestle with our lives, as we wrestle with all the things that are going on in our lives, He sits on His throne. And sometimes it, seems, it feels like it's hard to see that in the midst of hardship and tribulation. But He sits on the throne. He is sovereign. And He is the resurrection power. He is the seed that has sprouted, that has brought forth life to the nations, to the cosmos itself. And I want you to know that power. I want you to live between the Sundays with that power, with that abundance, with largesse in your life. I want you to have enormity in your life, but I want to be Jesus Christ. I want Him to be, be the source of your life, the power of your life that goes out of your life, not just to your life, but as a blessing to the nations. This city right now, in the last several days, we saw it last night in downtown Atlanta. We saw the violence on display in our city. We saw once again the reality of living in a broken world. Hardship, uh, the fear, the loss of control. This city desperately needs a new power. Not the power where we seek control to control our own destinies. Not that sort of power. It just destroys other lives, including ours. But we need a power that brings flourishing to the nations. And I'm here to tell you that's what the parable is ultimately about. The kingdom of God has come and it is coming. Do you want in on that? And so here's the question, and I'm pray. Here's the question I have for you. Where does the seed right now, where does the seed of the gospel, where does it need to go deeper into your life? What is one part of your life right now as I was preaching, as you were listening, as you were hearing, you're saying, man, I think it's here. Maybe it, maybe it's like what Mike and Kristen are talking about tonight in sexuality. You're like, can I come? No, you can't, unless you're 18 or younger. You can't. Sorry about that. Uh, talk with us later on about that. Uh, we'll, we'll figure something else out. But man, that, like, you're saying, man, that, that's where it needs to come into my sexuality. Like, I'm confused right now. All these things, what people are saying and believing, like, I'm confused. Like, what is my sexuality? What has what God designed for me? Or maybe it's in your finance. You're saying, man, that, man you can talk about anything, but don't talk about my money. Or, or maybe for those of you who are married, you're saying, man, I talk about anything else, but don't talk about my marriage. I, you, we all have a story, right? We all have a story. And the question is, will you allow Jesus to come into your story, into those places where you're, you're fearful to let go? What would it look like to invite him in? We're going to do just a second here. We're going to, we're going to have a confession. And I want to invite you in that confession to make it your own. Mike's going to lead you in that confession. I want to invite you to say, Jesus, into this place in my story, come. Be all or nothing to me. Be Lord. No more Pantheon. Be all or nothing to me. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the gift of Your Word. But it's not just the Scriptures that we read. Yes. Yes, we have that. We're grateful for that. We're grateful for the living Word. Jesus, You are the Word. You are the secret to the kingdom that's been revealed and I truly believe that we're going to be surprised with who's in and who's out. That, that Some people who are deeply religious who have never actually made you Lord of their life, but there's some people who are saying, man, I just feel like I've been on the fringe of faith for so long, but I want Jesus, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. Man, I think we're going to be surprised in new heavens and new earth. Um, that's not our list, Father. And so, Lord, I pray further up and further into our own hearts and lives, take the seed planted deep in the soil into places where life is being choked out in places where the soil is not deep enough. When tribulation comes, Jesus, speak to our hearts now. Holy Spirit, come and, and abide in us, deep in us, that power might go out of us, through us, to the nations of our world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, Redeemer. Amen.
2: Thank you, Scott. And now we respond to God's word through confession, as Scott said. And you know, for every part of the service, our hope is that, and, and our plan is, is that you would participate. That you wouldn't just sit there and it just consume it, but that how, does, how is it moving inside of you? And confession is a, is a really incredible way to begin to do that. Scott said that there are three, three or the scriptures say, there's, there are three places where it falls. The first one needs curiosity. Where do you need to be curious in your life right now? as you think about confession, would you start with curiosity? Because there is hard ground that needs to be broken up. That's what confession is. Where, where are circumstances taking my heart from God? What in your life right now is pulling your trust away? And then where is there a place in your heart where you're not needing Him? That's the thorns. Where are you being choked out? What do you need to bring and participate now between you and the Lord? So I want to give you some time Give us some time to really stop and think about that, and then we'll pray a prayer confession together. So take a moment now.